Morning, GLC. Those of you guys online. Um, this morning, I'll be reading from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And it reads, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered east to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's close our eyes for a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this glorious time where we get to come together and worship you, Lord, with the singing of songs and the hearing of your word and instructions. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts on this morning, Father, that we would receive your word with gladness and that we would not just be hearers only, but it would be in our hearts to be doers of the word that we hear, Father. We thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save and redeem us, a people undeserving. And we glorify you this morning and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for reading our text this morning. So excited about the opportunity to share with you this section of God's Word and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be focusing, we had Iokovanti Kavanti read all the way through verse from 1 verse to verse 20 to give us context. We're going to be focusing on 
uh, verse 14 specifically. So continuing our series here on the prophecies and songs of the Incarnation. And so we've moved through the Benedictus, which was Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, we looked at the Magnificat, which was Mary's song. And so today we're going to be looking at Gloria, which is the angel's song. And so uh, and it, again, it comes from Latin word Gloria for glory, which is the first word here in this praising of God by the multitude of angels and heavenly hosts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And so we've been anticipating the coming of the Messiah up until now. We've seen Zechariah and his revelation from God and, and, and his blessing to God for the fact that the time has now come. That which has been prophesied is now being fulfilled. All the covenant promises are being fulfilled. We see we saw then last week in Mary's song of praise that she understood that she had been blessed by God even though she was unworthy of it. And in this humble estate that she was found in, God has demonstrated His mercy to her, but not just to her in using her, but then to everyone, to Israel directly as He sends them the Messiah and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, but that Abrahamic covenant also is that all the nations would be blessed through him. And so we see here as well in Mary's song how this anticipation of, of God's mercy being poured out because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And then we come to chapter 2 here, and we uh, Kavanti read to us the story of his birth and of the shepherds there in that region were watching their flocks, tending, caring for their flocks as as Mary gives birth and as Joseph and, and Mary tend to Jesus, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. So the shepherds are out in the fields tending to their sheep and God's glory appears to them as the angels come and declare to them the birth of our Savior. So here, here Luke is including this like this, this announcement. You know, it's kind of like when when a uh, birth of a child nowadays, and they, they send out an announcement to let everybody know and that he's, he's been born. And in the past, oftentimes you get little cards in the mail that would describe the baby, have the picture of the baby, the weight and uh, the length and you know all other pertinent information or whatever the parents think we need to know. Here, God gives His announcement of the birth of His Son. and He gives us the information we truly need to know. And we're going to look at that here this morning. The main point of the sermon today is this. You should overflow with praise to God for faithfully keeping His promises of peace through the incarnation of Jesus. We should overflow with praise to God for faithfully keeping His promises of peace through the incarnation of Jesus. So hopefully today as we walk through this, We'll be able to see this glorious, this glorious promise-keeping God who, who, who gives, who grants peace to his people, the peace he has always promised, the peace he has he has uh, continued to anticipate throughout the Old Testament, the peace that his people have longed for and desired after and sought after and and walked through those covenants all the way through the Old Testament seeking after God, seeking to live under His 
uh, rule and his authority and seeking to love him and cherish him, seeking to follow his ways, seeking to, to uh, sacrifice so that they might find acceptance before God through the covering of the blood so that peace might be theirs. And now we see God grants them peace that will be ultimate and eternal. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has come to bring peace to all whom God is pleased to show it to. And so let's ask God to to be with us, to help us to engage in this text, to see in it His glory and goodness, and to go from here as people who both embrace it and then share it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word again. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, share uh, the truths of your word, to share uh, the glories of your good news of the gospel. And now we, we pray that you would, you would help me to speak clearly and faithfully as I present your word this morning. Lord, may we, may we understand what these angels were seeking to proclaim and the profoundness of, of, of these few words and yet gloriously good words to us. We recognize what this proclamation intends to convey. And may we celebrate and rejoice in it. May our hearts overflow with joy and gladness in the fact that Jesus has come. May our, may our mouths, may our voices resonate with the, that joy that Jesus has come. As we move into this week, as we look forward to Christmas Day and celebrating this, the birth of Jesus Christ, or may the people around us, or the people we are in contact with, or the people that we even see on this day, family and friends, may they hear from us the glorious good of Jesus Christ. For those who are acquaintances of ours, those who maybe we, we text on this day and wish them a Merry Christmas and other things, or may we not forget to point them to the joy, the true joy, the center of Christmas, Jesus Christ, His birth, so that He might truly bring peace. In a time when, when a lost and dying world, a rebellious world against you, actually takes a moment in hopes of peace. Or may we present them with the glorious good of Jesus Christ. May it not be just us. Lord, our, our circles are small relative to the population of this world. And so we we thank you that it's not just us, but your church across the globe meeting together today, encouraging one another to, to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. And not just your, your church across the globe, but your, your churches across town, across the street on Briggs there, Lord. Lord. As these churches meet and faithfully proclaim your truth, may they encourage one another to declare, to declare the glory of Jesus Christ. 
to this lost world around us. Lord, may we be a light and may our voices resonate with the angels and their proclamation of your glory and your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask one question. Why is God glorified? Why is God glorified? And I have five answers that I want to give. And uh, we're going to walk through this one verse, and maybe you've wondered, you know, you know, how long can Brian preach on just one verse? All right, we'll see, <laughs> right? We'll see how long we can. I see five things that we can pull out of here. There's probably plenty more that we could pull out, but I want to pull out five things. And the first is, why is God glorified? Because God is God. The angels appear to the shepherds and declare glory to God. God is deserving of glory because God is God. Which reminds me of our New City Catechism's question two, what is God? And why is God deserving of all this glory? I mean, who is He? What is this being that He should deserve all this? And the answer that we find in the New City Catechism is God is the Creator and Sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal. He's infinite and unchangeable in His power and perfections, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice and truth. Nothing happens except through Him and by His will. He is this being that is extraordinarily other than us. Totally, completely different in every way from us. He's the Creator. We're the creation. He's the sustainer. We're the one that needs sustaining. We need to be held up. We need to be propped up. You know, we're like we're like a scarecrow in a field. Without without the propping up, what would happen? We would just fall over. I mean, that's we have no power in and of ourselves to sustain ourselves. And that's why we read in Colossians that Jesus sustains all things. He holds it all together. The sustainer of everyone and everything. And not only that, He's eternal. He's self-existent. There, there's no time in which He was not. I mean, again, we're created. We are made by Him. And yet He is not made by anything or anyone. Infinite. Unchangeable. I mean, these are qualities that, that we do not have. The fact that his, his power and perfection is infinite and unchangeable. You know, our, our power and perfections wax and wane, don't they? I mean, even, even when we think about maybe some of the things we have control over, um, you know, it only takes a few minutes to realize maybe we don't have as much control as we thought we did. I mean, you know, just think about, you know, your spouse and how much control you might have over them. My power and my perfections. Well, they point out your imperfections, right? Or you reveal them to them. Let's be charitable. You reveal them to them, and they can't help but see them, right? Those people you live with, your parents, your kids. Oh, I have power over my children. Right, you know? 
just come over to my house and watch the two-year-old do whatever he wants, right? And then look at me very cutely, baby. And I'm like, oh, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> right? I mean, it's uh, he, but he unchangeable. Nothing threatens his power. Nothing taints his perfection. He's eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his goodness and glory. If we ever doubt his goodness, what do we see? What we've been seeing? That God keeps his promises. His goodness. The goodness of his promises endure forever. To his people. He will keep them. His glory. Nothing taints his glory. His wisdom, his just, his truth, all these things. And yet, and yet such a being is hard to contemplate. How do we, how do we contemplate that? We're not that way. What, what, what reference do we have? People say, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, to a degree, I think, yeah, we can, we can affirm these truths and everything. But to actually truly understand all that is being said there, it's beyond us. I mean, this is a being that is, to, to a degree, unimaginable. And rightly so, because there is nothing else like him to compare him to. To such a degree that when Moses asked God, you know, who do I tell the people I'm coming to represent when he goes into Egypt to declare to them that God is going to set them free? We read there, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent, has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. There's nothing else like it. He is who He is. And He said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's who He is. He is a being unlike any other. We understand of God, we understand that He, he is uh, a triunity or a trinity that the Godhead is made up of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one in essence. So we, we, we worship one God. And when the angels here say, glory to God in the highest, it is the triune God. It is the one true God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of, goes all the way back, the God of creation. The God of, Adam, this God is proclaimed as glorious because He is God. The second thing, because God dwells in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest. Now the word there for highest is meant uh, to point us to the heavens. So it's not just that He is the highest of all beings, which He is, but the point of this is actually to point us to His dwelling place. Highest of heavens. In fact, you can see there's a parallel here um, within these verses. So we see glory to God in the highest, and then we have on earth peace among those with whom He is well pleased. So we have the highest of heavens. We have the earth. We have glory. We have peace. We have to God and we have to men. We have this parallel going on in here. And so it's pointing us to the God who dwells in the highest of heavens. And I like what Stephen Charnock writes in his uh, book, The Existence and Attributes of God. The consideration of His glorious nature should imprint an awful respect upon our souls to Him. 
Consider him a spirit in the highest heaven and ourselves spirits dwelling in a dredgy earth. God is terrible from his holy places. In regard of that great things that he doth for Israel, again, Psalm 68, 35, we should behave ourselves with that inward honor and respect as if he were present to our bodily eyes. The higher apprehensions we have of his majesty, the greater awe will be upon our hearts in his presence and the greater spirituality in our acts. We should manage our hearts so as if we had a view of God in His heavenly glory. It's the point of the angels proclaiming Him being dwelling in the heavenlies. The point is they're, they're drawing us to the attention, not just of this lowly baby that the shepherds are going to see in the manger. The fact that God exists in heaven, in the glories of heaven. His throne resides there. His dwelling place is there. And remember again, he's speaking to Israelites. Those shepherds, the angels are speaking to Israelites. And what do they understand? Well, they understood the temple, right? And they understood the dwelling place of God with man in the temple. Though the Shekinah glory had long had long departed from the temple, yet what remained? It remained the altar that, that was the means by which they could go into the, the holy place. And so Zechariah, we saw earlier in chapter 1, what does he do? He, he, he does all the things necessary and then enters into the holy place to light this incense and such honor and such, um, such um, dignity to be able to go even into the temple. But, but he's only going into the first room. There's a second room, the Holy of Holies, and the high priest can only enter into that room once a year to make atonement for the people. That's how holy God's dwelling place is. But now we're not talking about His dwelling place with man. We're not talking about that building that we built for Him. What are we talking about? We are talking about the dwelling place and the throne room of God that God created for Himself. The highest of heavens. This is where this Creator, Sustainer God, this eternal, infinite, unchangeable God dwells. This is His glory on display. And as we begin to peek into that vision that the angels are seeking to give, as Charnock writes, we should manage our hearts so as if we had a view of God in His heavenly glory. Jesus is the Prince of Heaven who humbled Himself to become a man. For all the, all the splendor of heaven at His disposal. This is the God who resides in a heaven that we cannot get to. No matter how much we try, no matter how high we build our tower, we cannot ascend to the realm of the gods. We know that all the other gods are weak, frail, man-made, but the one true God he resides in heaven apart from us. In the sense, this is his what we call in theology God's transcendence. He is above creation, greater than and independent of creation. And the only way that we truly will ever get a glimpse into the heavenlies is if God were to reveal it to us. 
if God were to one day keep his promise and bring us to it. In Acts 17, we're reminded of this God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needs anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what we see in this first phrase from the angel, we see that God is glorified because He is God. We see that God is glorified because He dwells in the highest heaven. And in seeing that, we see that God is beyond us. God is magnificently greater than us. Incomprehensible to us. Yet the angels, they praise God. They reveal not only that He is transcendent, but that He is imminent. While He is above creation, greater than and independent from creation, yet He remains in creation and involved in His creation. That's what imminence means. So not imminence, as in He's coming soon, anytime, any moment. Imminence, alright? Imminent is He's remaining in and involved in His creation. And what do we read? And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. From the highest of heavens, the glorious God brings peace to earth. We see this in the third answer to our question because God stoops low to earth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. John 1.14, for the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here, God is imminent. God stoops low to earth to save His creation, to redeem His creation, to bring peace to His creation, which leads us to number four, because God gives peace to sinners. Why is He glorified? Because God gives peace to sinners. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He sent Jesus from the highest of heaven to the lowest of earth so that He might redeem us. He might truly then bring us peace. As we preached through Colossians last year, we saw in verse 19 and 20, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the glory of God, all the glory of the One who dwells in the highest of heaven was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the angels proclaim and on earth peace, they proclaimed it because Jesus had come. Jesus had come with a very specific mission 
not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom so that we might have peace with God. We sinners who have rebelled from, from his ways, from his rules, we have turned away from him and have lived in sin. Now we deserve his wrath and punishment, yet God in his goodness has sent his son, has stooped low to grant us peace. And what does it say, Romans 5 1? Justified by faith. We are meant to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That our peace comes through the blood of the cross. And we are meant to put our faith in that work. And through that, peace comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads us to the fifth answer. Because God does as He pleases. The glory of God. Sovereign over all things. And His peace comes to those with whom He is pleased. With those whom He takes pleasure in giving His peace. He does what He pleases. Which reminds me of Ephesians 1, 3-10. Blessed be the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose, which is actually the very same word in Luke 2.14 that's translated those He is pleased, whom He is pleased. That word pleased there is the exact same word here as purpose in this chapter. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. Again, same word. Which again, we could translate here in Ephesians as according to His pleasure. According to His pleasure, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That the God of heaven is now united to these lowly created beings on earth, these sinful beings. How? Through the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. We again have access to the Father in heaven because Christ has redeemed us by His blood. Luke writes later, in that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. This is Jesus speaking. That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. For such was your pleasure. It's actually, again, the same word as there in Luke 2.14. It pleased God to give His grace to undeserving sinners. And it started with Him giving grace to undeserving shepherds on a hill that day near Jerusalem, near Bethlehem, near Bethlehem. These angelic citizens of the highest heaven, the ones who stand in the presence of God, as Gabriel reminded us when he was speaking to Zechariah. 
proclaimed God's glory and His peace to the lowest of men. And in fact, as we understand from history, the shepherds were often considered the lowest of men. And here, the angels of heaven declare His glory and peace to the lowest of men. Undeserving as we are, yet God is gloriously gracious. And this is what we get to celebrate this Christmas. The glory of God has been revealed to us, undeserving as we are. Even more than that, because we could stand awed by His glory, but still under His wrath. He gave Jesus so that we might have peace through His cross. Point number two, connecting to everyday life. First of all, are you trusting in God's provision of peace? Jesus is that provision. There is no other provision of peace offered by God. Unless you could somehow live a completely perfect life and never have sinned. Short of that, the fact remains that we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We know that we all need this provision of peace. Jesus is that peace. And so I call you, if you are not a Christian, if you're not trusted in Jesus Christ, turn and trust in Him today. He is the provision of peace that God has given to mankind. And in turn, as we go into this Christmas season, as we look at what will bring peace to this world, as we listen to the people around us, you know, it's Christmas time, peace to the world. We should be the ones that affirm. We should be trusting in the truth that Jesus is the only peace provided to us. The only peace that we can truly have. That is truly of significance because it's peace with God. This being that is other than us, that created us, that sustains us. This being that because of our sin would pour out His wrath upon us. And yet because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed and have a good relationship with God. And that He be our Father, we being His children. Are you trusting in God's provision of peace this season? And that's, that needs to be true of us as Christians. This is, this is our hope. And we need to be clear. We need to be clear what we're trusting in. Secondly, do you praise God as the God of heaven and earth? You see, the two parts of this angel song are super significant. And if we focus too greatly on one part or the other, we miss something significant. And therefore, God needs to be praised as both the God of heaven and the God of earth. The God who rules in heaven and the God who humbled Himself and came to earth as a baby. Jesus Christ. The one who uh, sustains all things and is sovereign over all things. And the one who walked where we walked, was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. The one who is eternally unchanging, will never die. The man who, or in the second person of the Trinity, who took on flesh and blood so that he might. 
to man. And in turn, what do we see? We've looked at this before in Hebrews. That Jesus became a man so that He might be the true King of humanity. We see here God of heaven, the God of earth. He is the true King of humanity. He demonstrates to us what humanity is meant to look like, and He is able to sit on the throne as God has promised. He has given us a King who we can truly follow, who we can truly trust, and He deserves our praise, both, both as the glorious Almighty God and the humble man. Jesus Christ, the God-man. And then thirdly, will you join the angels in proclaiming Jesus? Angels who stand in His presence. And as we understand in Revelation, worship Him all day long. That's the kind of vision we're meant to have of God. This excitement that they have here, the multitude. So, so you got this one angel, it seems, declaring... Fear not, for I bring you good tidings and great joy. And, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to sing. And everybody's like, all right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Multitude of angels. You know, sky full of angels. I mean, that, that word multitude is meant to help us understand that the heavens are filled with them, proclaiming this glorious message that the King has been born. Peace has come. We are meant to join with them in proclaiming Jesus. Not just in our heart, but with our mouths. We're meant to proclaim Him to the world. We have an opportunity now. I thought this would be appropriate as we seek to celebrate Christmas here and the coming of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity even now to declare our trust in Him, to declare our praise, to join in proclaiming Jesus Christ as we partake of communion. It's a glorious opportunity that we have, undeserved opportunity that we have to celebrate what Christ has done for us. We just ask that you meet three requirements as you participate with us. First, that you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Second, Second, that you affirm these foundational truths of Scripture, that you believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. These are historical truths. The angel's angel's proclamation is not just a fairy tale story. It is true. And what are we saying when when we affirm these truths to the Apostles' Creed? We're saying these are historically true things, and we believe it. That he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then thirdly, that you have no unrepentant sin. You're not holding on to any sin. Because as we partake in communion, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming that we now have peace with God through the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That He has taken our sins and nailed them to the cross. That He has paid for them. And for us to hold on to our sin, be unwilling to seek his re- the repentance that comes through Him, 
to deal with our sin is an affront to our celebration of Christ's death for sin. The call is not necessarily to set aside communion, but to repent of your sin now. Deal with it now and then partake with us in communion. So we're going to take time here this morning to participate together. And if you fulfill those three requirements, we encourage you to participate with us. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Eternal Father, as we partake in communion, may we declare that we are undeserving of the glorious gift of Jesus Christ. Unworthy of His sacrifice. The sacrifice of leaving the glories of heaven. His dwelling place as God of gods, as King of kings, as Lord of lords. His glory abandoning abandoning heaven, humbling Himself to come to earth to take on the form of humanity, not just humanity, a little baby. Be born. Be laid in a manger. The humblest of beginnings. We are undeserving and unworthy of His sacrifice. Not only of His sacrifice in humbling of Himself, but His sacrifice in giving of His life. The shedding of His blood, His body broken. We proclaim that we have turned from our sinful ways and we have trusted in Jesus Christ alone. That He alone can bring the peace that we need eternal peace, peace with you, peace from your wrath, peace from the sin that that deserves your wrath. He has justified us. And so we praise Him. We serve Him. We obey Him. We declare that He is glorious. He has our greatest allegiance. So exalt your Son now as we remember Him, as we join with the angels in proclaiming Him as our peace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.